Galatians chapter 6, verse by verse. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Hi friends, welcome back. This is Michael Bohm and this we're going to be doing part six of the Galatians study. Finally going to release uh, chapter six of this study. Uh, I do apologize. I've had so many problems recording this series. Uh, as you guys remember, part four was missing about 20 minutes. Just gone. It just disappeared from the recording. So I had to record that one at home and splice it in. Part 5, the entire Part 5 was missing, so I had to record that one all over again in my basement. And now Part 6, hate to say it, exactly the same thing. All of Part 6 was gone, and now I had to re-record the entire Part 6 in my basement. But matters get worse. I don't know what it is with this study, but I have experienced so much opposition trying to get this study out. Uh, part six, I recorded the entire part six in my basement and I went to edit it last Sunday night, you know, cut out, cut out all the, uh, coughs and things like that. I go and push play and it, it's destroyed. I don't understand why. Um, I'm using all the same equipment, but for whatever reason, the audio quality was the worst of any podcast I've ever released. Uh, that was me recording in the basement here, uh, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, but it was, it, it was the poorest audio quality. I've already stopped during this introduction and listened to the audio quality to make sure that everything is okay. And yeah, sounds pretty good. So I really have no idea what was up with that. And so now we're going to go ahead and try this for a third time. Uh, and to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if my computer crashes halfway through or some other strange event happens and I lose all the audio again. Am I sounding a little pessimistic? Because maybe I am. It's It's been a really hard road to get this study out. I have no idea why, but whatever. Um, praise God, I have received so much positive feedback on this series uh, I almost released part six uh, with the poor audio quality. I still went ahead and spent a, uh, the time putting it together and getting it all finished. And I just got to the point where I was right about to post it, literally right on Sermon Audio. And I thought, you know what? It's just unacceptable. It This series, so many people have enjoyed this series, and I just can't ruin it by releasing part six in that poor of, of an audio delivery. So I just... Here we are. I'm back at the microphone, and we're going to do this again. Uh, it's okay. I love teaching through the scriptures. Uh, it's just a bummer when you put so much time into something, and then it goes missing. And then you do it again, and it's all messed up. So here is round three. We're going to be in the book of Galatians. We're going to be studying through chapter six today, but we're going to start in uh, actually the very last verse of chapter 5. That would be chapter 5, verse uh, 26. Really quick, we do this every time, but the background, this was written by Paul, most likely when he was in Corinth. Um, Paul had been to Galatia on two different uh, occasions and shared the gospel with them, and they received it. They accepted it, and a church was born. But then this group often referred to as the Judaizers, show up. They claim that they've been sent by James and some of the other apostles, okay? So they're piggybacking on that authority. And they show up and they start teaching another gospel. And so Paul, he starts off this uh, Galatians chapter 1 with a, a, uh, a very serious warning for those who would preach another gospel and that they would be accursed, which is basically saying you will be damned, okay? Uh, very 
serious warning coming from Paul. But these Judaizers, they're teaching that you must be circumcised in order to be saved. You must keep the Sabbath. You must keep the feasts. You must follow all the dietary laws of the Torah. You must follow basically all of the laws that were intended for the Jews. All these Gentiles now in Galatia must do in order to be saved. And Paul, so disturbed by what he's hearing, sets about writing this epistle with his own hand, which as far as we know, this is the only one that he actually wrote physically with his own hand. Usually he had it dictated uh, to like a secretary who would write it down. Okay, Uh, most likely we believe because Paul had some kind of an eye disorder. We'll talk more about that today. There's a a few verses that uh, might shed some light on that. But uh Anyway, uh, Galatians, the outline of Galatians, very simple and easy to memorize. Chapter 1 and 2, Paul spends that time defending his authority as an apostle. See, these Judaizers were claiming that Paul wasn't even, he was an apostle appointed by men, not by God. That's what they were claiming. They also were uh, attacking his version of the gospel. Paul was saying it's by grace through faith alone. And Uh, These Judaizers were accusing him of basically teaching a seeker-sensitive version of the gospel, something that would make it uh, easy to believe for a Gentile. And so, and then in chapters 3 and 4, Paul waxes doctrinal, and he starts talking about arguments for grace over the law. And then in chapters 5 and 6, Paul gets more practical, and he gives us things to think about, Okay, if we are saved by grace through faith alone, well then, what is the purpose of the law? Should I sin so that grace may abound? These types of things, okay? And so, here in chapter 6, those are the types of, uh, um, that's a lot of the the types of content that we're going to be looking at here in chapter 6. And so, also remember last week, if you can say it was last week, the last chapter five, uh, we talked about things like backbiting. Uh, we talked about fruits of the flesh versus fruits of the spirit. Okay. And so moving on with that theme, we go into verse 26 here of chapter five. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, you know, think on that in light of last week's study, because this is Paul's epistle, and and these chapter breaks were inserted a little bit later. Okay, so we're keeping with these themes, uh, conceited. You know, let's not get puffed up. Let's not get prideful. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Guys, pride will take you down. And that's one of those things that I you really have to watch out for in your life. You know, the the more you succeed in life, the more you excel in a given area, these types of things, the more easy it is to allow pride to start working itself into your character. Um, It's a terrible thing. And I think every single one of us needs to examine themselves uh, daily, uh, sometimes moment by moment, to try and keep that in check. We should be walking in humility. Uh, Then he goes on and he says, provoking one another. Now, siblings have a way of provoking one another. Any of you out there who do have kids, and I know a lot of you uh, do have children. Uh, I have a lot of listeners who are young parents. uh, And you know, your kids are professionals at provoking one another. It blows my mind. When I was a little guy... Uh, One of my brothers, uh, uh, Kirk, uh, he's the one that lives in Costa Rica. He runs a tour guide company, uh, Green Frog Adventures. Not that I'm giving him a plug, but yeah, if you're down there and you're looking for a tour guide, uh, he's a great guy. But now I'm going to totally trash him. When I was a little kid, he he would do the most messed up things to provoke me. For example, we'd be sitting there eating breakfast in the morning. We'd be having our bowl of Cheerios, and he would do... Oh, this is so gross, guys. It it makes me shudder. Uh, have you ever heard of a, a spit yo-yo where you would allow a little bit of 
spit to come out of your mouth and it comes down. He would let this thing dangle and it would drop down until it came within about three eighths of an inch from the top of his milk and his Cheerios, right? And then he would slurp it back up like a yo-yo. It, it was, oh, so disgusting. And he would do that while staring at me, just trying to gross me out. And if I looked up but once, I could hear him slurping. And if I looked up at all, I would lose my appetite and would not be able to finish my breakfast. That is the kind of shenanigans he would pull on me. And he would think it was so funny. And every once in a while, that thing would break off and land in a cereal. And he'd really quick scoop it up with his, with his spoon and, and slurp it in. <laughs> it was so gross. Uh, that's about as gross as you're ever going to hear on this podcast. But absolutely disgusting. He would dismember some of my toys in front of me coming in my room and he'd say, Hey Mike, you're going to do this thing for me, whatever it is, you know, maybe it was a chore or something. You're going to do this thing for me or I'm going to pull the arm off of Optimus Prime. And I, t <laughs> and I tested him a few times on this and sure enough, he'd pull an arm or a leg off of one of my toys and, uh, absolutely provoking me. Now, <laughs> moving forward, you know, we're all Christians here. We <laughs> should not be like, little children provoking one another to anger. See, look, the the world is looking at us. And uh, when we are, whether we are provoking somebody outside of the church or provoking somebody inside the church, when the world sees these types of things, um, they're not impressed, guys. That's what elicits comments like, oh, you Christians, you're all, you're, you're all hypocrites, these types of things. We need to be ones that are provo provoking each other to, to love, provoking each other to forgiveness, to peace, these types of things, building each other up. You know, we all know people who live to um, take shots at you, right? You're at work or whatever, and they feel it necessary. Maybe they're feeling inferior, uh, some kind of inferiority complex deep down inside, and they feel like they need to tear people down around them to feel better about themselves. Or maybe it is that they just, you know, they've got a chip on their shoulder and they love taking shots at people and making people feel self-conscious around them. I don't know. I've never been one of those people. I don't understand that mindset, but we all know those types of people. And, um, Guys, we should not be those types of people. Even if you do, you are one of those people and you think it's funny, that is not a godly thing. Okay? Uh, it, it actually hurts people. So anyway, moving on, envying one another. Uh, yeah, the 10th commandment does say thou shalt not covet. So uh, basically that is a reiterating of that commandment, if you will. And, uh, you know, I've caught myself doing this every once in a while. Uh, to me, I, I find it humorous when I do catch myself coveting somebody or something because immediately I have to stop. You know, I have been to, to many third world countries and I see people sleeping on, uh, the dirt of the ground. They, they have a hut. They live in this hut. There is like an impossibly large family inside a little tiny hut with a dirt floor. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding, Mike? I have a refrigerator filled with food. I have a decent job. I have a nice house. Okay. It heats itself in the winter and it cools itself in the summer. I have a really comfy bed. I have, get this, a microwave. I can cook food really fast. I've got an oven. I've got a bathroom with running water, which is an amazing blessing if you've ever lived without, okay? All these things, I have a car. You go to these other countries and some of these people are lucky to have a bike, okay? We have no reason to be coveting other people's stuff, okay? Even if we did have a dirt floor, this command still stands, thou shalt not covet. But uh, us in America really should should slap ourselves upside the head when we catch ourselves coveting because are you kidding me? We are so blessed. We are so blessed. Be thankful for what you have. And so moving on into Galatians chapter six, brethren, brethren, if if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual 
Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So what happens when a believer is overtaken in a trespass, or in other words, caught in some type of heinous sin, right? Uh, Someone who is spiritual or, you know, mature in the faith should come alongside that person and help them. And, and, and think on this. This is in sharp contrast to how things were done according to the law. In many instances, when somebody under the law was caught in some kind of a, a horrible sin, they were immediately punished, and sometimes they were even stoned to death. Uh, for example, think on this one for a minute. Uh, we mentioned this last week, but um, there was this guy in Corinth. You know, the, the first book of Corinthians spent a period of time addressing a situation where there was a man who was committing incest with his mother-in-law. Okay? And in uh, chapter 5 of Corinthians, Paul encourages the church there in Corinth to take action and implement some church discipline by basically confronting this man and and exposing him to the idea, hey, listen, this is sin. You can't be doing this. And if he doesn't listen, remove him from the fellowship. Okay? It needs to happen. The rest of the church is looking on and seeing this, and it is allowing leaven, sinful doctrine, sinful practices into the church, and it's spreading like wildfire. It has to be dealt with. Okay? Paul deals with it. And then in 2 Corinthians, uh, we find out that this church did, in fact, implement the church discipline. They did listen to Paul. And in chapter 2, verse 6 through 10, listen to this. Paul says, This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. In other words, they they did kick him out, and it was sufficient. Verse 7, So that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now, who you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Think about that, guys. This guy was committing incest. What do you do under the law? You take that man and you stone him. That is the Mosaic law. And you know what? For a time, you know, God was setting those, the Jews apart. Okay. He was making a people for his name who would be set apart, who would be walking in righteousness, who would eventually, who the the Messiah would come from. Okay. The Messiah has come. Okay. And that Messiah died on a cross to pay for our sins and Things are done a little differently now. Okay. This man had done, had done this horrible thing and God does not change. He's immutable. He doesn't change. So God's still incredibly angry about how this guy was acting. But under this new covenant, we don't take people outside and stone them anymore. Okay. Christ died for that man too. Okay. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God. Okay, so um, what we're seeing here, again, is somewhat of an implicit argument for law, uh, for grace over the law. We see that, once again, Paul is showing with his actions now that we are still, we are under grace, okay? We walk in liberty, not so that we can sin more, but we now know that Christ died for our sins, and uh, we can now walk in that. And so praise God, praise God. Once again, showing, you know, there was, there's a, uh, a website online, and I have a feeling I'll end up doing a, a podcast or two. My wife stumbled upon it on accident. It's a website that goes verse by verse through the entire book of Galatians, teaching that um, our Western way of understanding the book of Galatians, that the book of Galatians is teaching grace, is completely wrong. And that uh, really, yes, we are saved by grace through faith, 
that's how we're justified. But if we're not following the Mosaic law, then we're not saved. Okay, so that's kind of a tricky way of saying it. They're still saying we're justified by grace. But if you're not walking in full obedience to the Mosaic law, then you're not saved. Um, hmm, wrong, absolutely wrong. And they go verse by verse through the book and, and just about take all of the great scriptures in Galatians that sh- it just absolutely prove that the Galatians, uh, uh, that this book is about grace over the law and they turn it on their, on its head. It, it's amazing. It, it makes you just infuriated when you read through this and they're playing all kinds of word games. They're, they're, there's all kinds of little tricks they're pulling. And yes, they have really good uh, rank on Google. So they're showing up in searches. So something tells me I really need to address this sometime in the future. Uh, but whatever the case, once again, we see that Paul is clearly teaching here grace. Okay. If we were under the Mosaic law, Paul would have taken, he would have encouraged the Corinthians, the Corinthians to take this guy out and follow the Mosaic law and stone him. Right? Right? If it really is that we're still supposed to follow all the Mosaic law, that's what Paul would have said, but he didn't. He told him to restore him. Okay. So anyway, church discipline is never fun. It isn't, <clears throat> it is necessary sometimes. Chapter, <clears throat> and so moving on to verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So Paul moves on in chapter six, keeping with the theme of walking in the spirit, as opposed to walking in the flesh, the person who is walking in the spirit seeks to see the world from God's perspective. Uh, he no longer lives for himself, but for Christ. He now sees others' needs before his own. And so with that in mind, Paul here is telling us, exhorting us to bear one another's burdens, okay? We all need a hand from time to time. Things happen, okay? The most competent, uh, responsible responsible people out there still need a hand from time to time. Sometimes we get really sick. Sometimes tragedy hits and there's some kind of massive a uh, monetary hit that happens where suddenly you just can't keep up with the bills. Not again, not because you're being lazy, not because you're making dumb choices, but things happen. Okay. And we should help each other in that as a family, as a, as a family in Christ. And so in verse three, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Now, since I've been ragging on my brother, Kirk, um, <laughs> he used to tell me, Mike, you'll never be as cool as me. You'll never be as strong as me and you'll never be able to beat me up. And you know, this many years down the road, I'm almost 40 years old. And to this day, <laughs> I'm not as strong as him. I probably can't beat him up unless I sneak up behind him with a two by four. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and I'll never be as cool as him. Okay. No, really, Paul here is teaching, uh, I mean, look, people that think their self to be something, you know, they're puffed up with pride, they think they're all that, um, that is not how we as Christians should be acting, okay? You really shouldn't be thinking you're all that. You really should, you know, see yourself soberly, right? Paul's looking at these Corinthians or these Galatians and he's saying, look, don't act like that. Uh, that angers God. And not only that, you'll never be as cool as me. That's what Paul's saying. No, just kidding. Paul didn't say that. But um, <laughs> really though, uh, that's not how we believers should be. Now, with that in mind, verse three, for if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Verse four, but let, but let each one examine his own work. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not another. Okay. We all have people within our congregations. Well, let's at least let's hope so <laughs> who are doing really amazing things for the Lord. Okay. Uh, the pastor that I have uh, is now on the radio. He's on a very popular radio uh, station, Grace FM. Okay. And his sermons are being heard by, I don't even know how many thousands of people every Sunday. It's really cool. It's, it's very exciting. Okay. He's doing some great things for the Lord. 
I'm sure your pastor is too. You've probably got some missionaries at your church that are doing some really cool things. Other people in your in your church that have maybe some paraministries and stuff like that, they're getting stuff done. And we can rejoice in that, right? We can be excited. But listen, we all have our own responsibilities before the Lord. We, have, we all have stuff that God has asked us to do. And no, I'm not saying some audible voice came down and, but we all know, you know, the Lord has given us all individual gifts. We all have certain, um, abilities that other people are not as good at. Some of us are really good speakers. Some of us, uh, you know what I'm saying? We all have certain abilities, uh, that can be used for God's kingdom. And sometimes it's nothing more than, uh, somebody has that hospitality gift where they're just so good at blessing other people and helping and taking care of people when they're sick and, and visiting them, these types of things, inviting people into their home and serving them dinner. Um, some people have uh, monetary uh, um, advantages that would allow them to serve in, in other ways. Examine your own work and, and you know, then you will have rejoicing in yourself alone. Okay, not in another, right? We're all going to face a, a Bema seat judgment, okay? Even us believers, we have a judgment coming. And it's not that we're going to be judged and some of us are going to be cast into hell, okay? When we're trusting in Christ alone, we're saved, but now our works are going to be judged, okay? What are you, my friend, doing with your life? For the kingdom. What are you doing? And verse 5 For each one shall bear his own load. Okay? Examine your own work and bear your own load. Now, the King James Version actually says, For each one shall bear his own burden. Ah, now hold on right there. Uh, verse 2 says that we should bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But in verse 5, for each one shall bear his own burden. That sounds like a Bible contradiction. And atheists the world over, they love this one because it's all just nicely compact. You don't have to jump all over the Bible. You just, hey, look, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says, we should all bear each other's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. And a couple verses later, each one shall bear his own burden. Bible contradiction, shut your Bibles, everybody go home, give up your faith because the atheists now have us, right? Um, it's a woeful day. <laughs> I just exposed the big Bible contradiction and now we're just all doomed because our Bibles are, uh, they're not inspired by God, right? Um, no, no, this is actually one of those Bible contradictions that is so ridiculously easy to deal with. Atheists love throwing questions in your face and never giving you time to answer. That is how they operate. They don't, they feel that by steamrolling you with lots of questions, they have won the debate. That's exactly what happened during the Bill Nye and Ken Ham debate. Bill Nye asked a million questions and Ken Ham had no time to answer them all. And Bill Nye walks off feeling like the champion, right? Uh, typical atheist uh, tactics. But here it is, guys. Here is how easy it is to deal with this particular Bible contradiction. In verse 2, the word that is being used there in the Greek for burden is a different Greek word than what is translated as burden in the King James in verse 5. Boom. That's it. It's that easy. You have two different words. So uh, even though the King James translators translated burden for both these verses, and I'm not ragging on the King James. You guys all know that's actually my favorite uh, favorite version by far. I believe that it is the best translation we have in English. Um, having said that, yes, you know, people get all bent out of shape saying that, hey, look, burden means two different things here. Well, yeah, that's because it's two completely different Greek words. Uh, one, talking about a physical load, baros, that's what's being used in verse two, uh, the type of things that we can help each other with. You know, somebody is sick 
and can't even cook food for their for their children or whatever. And you go over to their house and you bring them a couple casseroles or whatever, you know, you're helping out these types of things. Uh, somebody in your congregation unexpectedly lost their job or got themselves in a nasty car wreck. And now they are in serious financial uh, uh calamity, right? And then a few people within the congregation step alongside them and using that gift of money that they have, they're able to hold this brother up. Those types of burdens that we can help with. But then in context, Paul starts talking about, hey, look at yourself, okay? Examine your own works. We shouldn't be trying to ride on the coattails of others. We all have our own obligations before the Lord. Each one of you shall bear his own load, that's for you to bear. This is your job, right? Uh, that second Greek word, just for those who want to know, uh, I probably am going to totally botch the pronunciation here, but it's P-H-O-R-T-I-O-N uh, in English. Uh, fortune? Fortion? I don't know. Fortune? I'm just going to say fortune. Anyway, that's something that we can help. Uh, I'm sorry. That That is a burden that is ours and ours alone. So anyway, Going on to verse 6, nope, we don't have a Bible contradiction that was very easy to solve. Uh, and so with all of that in mind, we have our own burden to bear, right? We have our own load to carry. We have to examine ourselves. And in verse 6, let him who is taught in the word share, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches, uh, communicate. In other words, share, communicate. The word in Greek is koinoneo, sharing, taking part, communicating. Uh, in other words, here we have the most um, in-your-face statement coming from Paul that simply says, if somebody ministers to you spiritual benefits, we should be ministering back to them in material benefits. All right? Tithing. And you guys know, I never talk about tithing in this podcast, but because we're going verse by verse, we're going to stop here and look at this really quick. In uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be f food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Hey man, that sounds pretty good. Uh, that was in the Old Testament. New Testament, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always have all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. All right? So, um, you look at what happened there in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. In context, we're talking about the, the you know, God's talking about my house. He's talking about the temple, okay? Uh, in context, we don't have a temple anymore. And to keep that temple up, to keep it in good working order, to feed the mouths of all of those um, Levites who had to take care of the tabernacle or the temple, these places... Um, it was a big undertaking, really. And so, uh, you know, in context, that's what Malachi is talking about. In 2 Corinthians, though, uh, the temples uh, at this point, not really the focus or, or the focus of attention. Uh, we're talking about the church. Okay. And again, not just some building, but the body of Christ, right? We're to give uh, as we purpose in our own heart, okay? This is not a 10% uh, uh, after taxes or before taxes or whatever. As you purpose in your own heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, as in we don't have to tithe, but God loves a cheerful giver, okay? And all grace abounding to us that we might all have all, have all sufficiency in all things, it's a wonderful thing. We give as we uh, feel led, okay, as we purpose in our heart. We do this cheerfully. We take care of our pastor, the pastor um, or, or other ministries for that matter. By the way, uh, if any of you are feeling uncomfortable, I'm not moving in any direction of you need to send some money to me because you know what? Guess what, guys? Uh, I haven't mentioned this in a long time, but I don't accept tithes. 
I don't want your money. Okay. I'm doing this 100% free. It is a labor of love. I'm doing this because I know that there's treasure being built up for me somewhere else. Okay. I just, I just want to pour back into the body of Christ, what's been poured into me. And, and so freely I've been given freely. I'm going to give back. Amen. But having said that, I don't have any big overhead. I've got my laptop here. It's kind of a piece of junk. I I am going to have to replace this thing soon. It served me well, but it's, it's on its last leg. I've got a cheapo microphone. That's not too bad. And I've got a decent soundboard. And between all this, I'm doing all right. Uh, you know, I don't have much overhead and I have to pay for, um, sermon audio and some of the other services that I use and website and stuff, but it doesn't matter. I can, I can cover this myself. It's not a big deal, but your pastor, uh, assuming he's a biblical pastor, you know, and, and he's doing great things for the Lord, you know, that ministry needs to keep going. Not only do you have building expenses, but you know, the church is always doing things like our church gives way, uh, I mean, a very large portion of our tithes end up pouring right back out into missionaries. We love giving to missionaries and we vet our missionaries too. We want to make sure that they're really out there doing what they say they're doing and they're not just, you know, chilling in another country, living in paradise, right? Um, (laughs) <laughs> so anyway, we all should be thinking about that. You know, don't muzzle the ox when he's treading the corn. You know, you've, you've all heard that scripture. Uh, there's a lot of cost that goes into ministry. And if, if your ministry is, um, you know, if you're, if your pastor is ministering to you, we need to biblically minister back, by the way, you know, another little rabbit trail, but Chuck Missler, uh, if you guys have ever heard him, I spent a couple years of my early walk in Christ listening to tons of his 6640 uh, podcasts and tons and tons and tons. I think I went cover to cover through the Bible with Chuck Missler it, uh, and it took me quite a while to get through. But anyway, he's also a very accomplished businessman. He's made millions of dollars in various business enterprises throughout his life. And he compares tithing to um, making investments. And it's kind of funny I like how he says it though. You know, as a businessman, you take your money and are you going to invest it in something that's going to flop? Well, let's hope not. You want to pour your money into something that you're going to get an ROI, a return on investment, right? You want to invest in something that's going to give back. Well, when you're investing your money in a ministry, when you're tithing, tithe to ministries that are uh, going to give you a return on investment. In other words, um, those ministries have have a, a successful proven track record of preaching the gospel, teaching the truth, and 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 leading people to the Lord. Okay, there's they are a successful uh, uh, ministry, and I don't mean that in a business sense. I mean that in a ministry sense. They're out there doing the Great Commission, and they're doing it well. Let's invest in those, right? Okay. I love how he says that. It's just something to think about. So moving on. Verse seven, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. You know, when I sow watermelons in my yard, I expect watermelons to grow. I don't expect uh, tomatoes to grow on my watermelon vines, right? Um, well, in context here, we're talking about um, bearing your own load, examining your own work. Um, you know, what are you doing? We're all going to be held accountable for what we're doing with our time. Well, if we're using our time and talents and money to sow fleshly things, okay, again, we're not too many verses away from those fruits of the flesh versus fruits of the spirit of chapter five, right? So think about that as we're considering sowing for, in verse eight, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. We can take our time, talents, and money and pour them into things that will gratify our flesh, but eventually we will reap from that, you know, it will produce a crop to the flesh. And that is a bad thing. 
Those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same, Job Job chapter 4, verse 8. And those who sow to the wind reap the whirlwind, Hosea chapter 8, verse 7. When we sow to the flesh, uh, there will be a day when we will reap the benefits of our sowing. A great example from the scriptures would be this. I love this too. And my wife just asked me about this recently. Um, Jacob sowed to the flesh. We have this story where uh, Jacob deceives his father, right? Um, His brother Esau is supposed to get this blessing from his father. And what does Jacob do? Jacob straps on this weird, stinky, hairy costume and goes in to meet his father, who is apparently very blind at this point, and uh, dupes his his father into thinking that he's Esau. And then Jacob gets that blessing, right? Really messed up situation. And you're thinking, why would God let that go? Well, ultimately, it was God's plan that Jacob would get the blessing. But that doesn't mean what Jacob did was right. That was wrong. He sowed to the flesh. He chose unwisely. (laughs) And so later on in his life, you're thinking, you know, oh, God, just let that go. No, no, eventually you shall reap. And Jacob does. He goes and meets with his uncle Laban and he falls in love with his daughter. Um, And he wants Rachel's hand in marriage. Well, Laban, being a businessman, arranges, (laughs) this is so messed up, arranges a deal with Jacob. And basically, Jacob, look, if you work for me for seven years, I will give you my daughter's hand in marriage. I mean, seriously, all you ladies out there, seriously, that is true love. He worked seven years for this woman's hand in marriage. How cool is that? How messed up is that too? Well, check this out. On the wedding night, okay, Jacob marries a woman wearing a costume. He marries a woman who has deceived him. It's Leah. It's not Rachel. It's Leah, Rachel's sister. How messed up is that? And so Jacob, sowing to the flesh, he reaps corruption and he ends up marrying the wrong woman, being duped with a very similar uh, uh, situation as what he did to his father earlier. And then he ended up having to work another seven years to marry Rachel. Uh, that I know, it's really messed up. But it teaches you that lesson. When you sow to the Spirit, you will reap uh, amazing things. You know, it's, it's so amazing when you take your time, talents, and money, and you sow, you do things uh, for God, for the kingdom, for the, for the sake of the gospel uh, versus taking your time, talents, and money and sowing them to the flesh. Um, by the way, uh, we've been going through this study in the book of Galatians over and over and over, uh, looking at arguments for grace. Right here in this verse, it's not saying that this is a salvation issue. You know, it says there, he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. That doesn't mean that your works do in fact save you. No, not at, not at all. But what we have to consider is that when we're sowing to the Spirit, when we're taking our time, talents, and money and pushing them into the endeavor of getting people saved, getting the gospel out there, guess what? Uh, some everlasting life will be reaped. Do you know what I'm saying? When you, when you put your time into that and, and your money and your talents, um, God's kingdom will be pushed forward and amazing things will happen. So uh, verse nine, let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season, we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Praise God for that, right? Uh, I, I tell you what, walking the Christian walk is not always easy. Uh, And this is one of those verses that you should cling to. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Mm. Uh, And verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Really? Yeah. You know, you, you think about it. We should seek to do good to all right? To everybody. We should be lovingly helping those around us. But Paul here is making the point that we should especially pay attention to those within the church. Why? 
I don't know. I mean, listen, uh, it doesn't exactly say, but God's word is telling us here that we should be paying attention to those who are within the church, in our midst, who need help before uh, we should be thinking about helping those in the community around us. Um, if I, if I was to take a stab at this, uh, uh, you know, I, I would liken this to, you know, when you're on an airplane and, uh, you know, they, they go through the instructions on what you should do if the plane is, uh, losing cabin pressure, right? And the masks drop down and you're instructed to put yours on first and then put on your kids. And you're thinking, no, I think it would be better if I put it on my kid first, right? But what happens if you put it on your kid first? Well, now you're going to get all lightheaded. You might fall over and pass out. And do you really think that your child is going to have the wherewithal to figure out how to get yours on your face? Will they even realize that the reason you passed out is because you don't have yours on your face? You see what I'm saying? Will they even be able to reach the mask and get it on your face? And so the instructions are put yours on first. Yeah, your kid might get a little dizzy while they're waiting on you, but something tells me you're going to get yours on pretty darn fast so you can get to your kids. I think that's the, the same kind of concept is happening here. We need to be taking care of those within the church first so that we as a church can be healthy and, and active enough to then turn around and reach out to the community and do the things that we need to be doing uh, to further the gospel. Does that make sense? Conversely, when the the outside, the secular world is looking in at the church and they see this loving family that is holding each other up, you know, Christ said, uh, they will know us by our love for one for another. Well, when, when the world looks at us and sees that we hold each other up and when one of us trips and falls, we're not like, sorry, kid, hope you learn. No, we stop, we pick them up, we help each other out, we love on each other and the world sees that and says, wow, wow, I want that. Okay, their faith is so real to them. Uh, and, and they walk it out in their actions one to another. Pretty awesome. Now, there's a, a movement out there, uh, social justice uh, or the social gospel. This is huge and it just continues to grow. Okay, and this group has a noble cause. They're out there, they're trying to uh, help people. They're, they're bringing food and clothing and water and these types of things to the world around them. But here's where they fail. Okay. They yoke up with unbelievers. They're hooking up with cults like, uh, Christians hooking up with Mormons, uh, uh, the, the Catholic church, which, you know, I've mentioned over and over and over the Roman Catholic church is not Christian, my friends. It's not. I think that they're, are some Roman Catholics within that church who might be saved? I've, I've met some that really sounds like they have a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but let's face it, the official doctrine of the Catholic Church is to follow the sac, you know, to, to do the sacraments and to do works in order to be saved. They've got the cart before the horse. They're trying to earn their own salvation. When you ask a Catholic, are you saved? They say, well, I hope so. They don't know. Because they're trying to earn their way into heaven. And that is not a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, see a lot of my series on the Roman Catholic Church. That's just the big issue. There's a million side issues that are pretty substantial as well. The, the Roman Catholic Church has really missed it. I mean, that they have gone completely off the rails of biblical Christianity. Uh, anyway, uh, there's a rabbit trail for you. Uh, These the social justice warriors, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope, Pope Francis, uh, he's kind of leading the charge of this social gospel, social justice movement. They're, again, it's a noble cause. They're out there. They're trying to feed and clothe and house people and these types of things. It sounds great, but guess what? We have compromised the gospel when we yoke up with these unbelieving organizations and uh, are, are uniting with them in spiritual causes. We have now told the world our gospel is the same as their, theirs. We have lent them credibility. And God's going to hold us responsible for these types of things. I'm sorry. That's great that they're helping people. I, I'm, I'm happy for them. But we cannot be compromising the gospel by uniting with unbelievers in spiritual enterprises. Fail. No. Absolutely not. 
So, uh, you know, if you're out there, you're helping the community, you're doing these types of things, you're bringing, bringing them food, water, clothing, these types of things. Uh, awesome. Praise God. That is good. But a, do not unite with an unbelieving group and, or, or a cult, right? And B, make sure that this is in conjunction with the gospel. The people that you're helping need to understand why, the why of why we're doing this. And that is because of Christ. It's because of our faith. And so we need to be sharing it in that, right? Uh, and so verse 11, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah. So Paul most likely here, he's got an eye disorder, right? Poor guy. And, and, and so if you've ever seen somebody with really bad eyes, they have to get really close to what they're working on and their font or their writing is going to be really big so that they can see, uh, you know, Somebody pointed out a scripture that I had not considered in this light that possibly Paul does have something wrong with his eyes. Um, in Acts chapter 23, verses 3 through 5, check this situation out. Um, Paul is standing before the high priest, and he makes some comments. And right after he makes these comments, he is uh, struck in the face. And Paul says to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck? Command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. I've always read that passage and thought, what? You know, Paul is being sarcastic here and he's kind of, you know, taking some pokes at him. Well, maybe he was, but maybe, really, maybe uh, the high priest was standing just far enough off where Paul could not recognize him. And Paul's looking at him thinking, oh, I didn't know that was the high priest. Uh, for it's written, you shall not speak ev evil of the ruler of your people. You know what I'm saying? It's possible. Can't prove it, but it's something to consider. Whatever the case, you know, I love rabbit trails like that where, you know, it's, it's information that's not necessary, but it's interesting to look at. Uh, verse 12, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Okay, so the Judaizers, their motivation was to avoid persecution. The Judaizers were fearing and wanting to please the Jews. They wanted to boast of the number of Gentiles they were getting to observe the law. Okay? And, uh, you know, going back to this social gospel, there's a political movement that's, that's married to this social gospel movement, the new religious right. I've mentioned to mentioned them a few times. It's a political movement that is, uh, marrying politics with, uh, Christianity. I have no problem with that. Okay. But generally this movement has, is, is more than not being controlled by the, the new apostolic reformation crowd, but whatever the case, okay, this new religious right movement, um, again, is, is bent on Christianizing the morals of the nation, but they completely lose sight of the gospel. Okay, they yoke up with all kinds of unbelieving cult-like movements, uh, uniting with um, false doctrine. They don't teach the gospel. They don't preach the gospel. They're just like, we're going to, with an iron fist, we are going to make this nation live like Christians, even if they're not Christians. Uh, and <clears throat> friends, again, that's not going to work. You know, you look back at the time of Christ uh, and, and the nation of Israel at that time was one of the most moral nations to ever have existed on this planet at any given time. Okay. Pharisees, Sadducees, the, 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 the priestly system, they had found a way to moralize the country. And yet Christ criticized them 
at every turn, he was always going after this, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. He's always tearing them down because, listen, it doesn't matter if your nation is moralized. If they have not the gospel, they are still not saved. Okay? Would you rather have a nation who is immoral but is getting the gospel and people are getting saved and now their hearts are being changed from the inside out, they're reading the scriptures and they're moving towards being moral? And so the end result is you do have a moral nation, something that America was many years ago, a great nation that for the most part, yeah, I know you guys could argue with me on this one, okay, but for the most part was a very Christian nation. <laughs> what a blessing this nation enjoyed from the Lord. But now we've completely turned our back on him. And this new religious right, uh, rather than trying to use the gospel and to change people's hearts, they're trying to force Christian slash, you know, uh, Judeo morality on the people. And it's not gonna work. Look what happened to Israel uh, shortly thereafter. They continued to moralize. They rejected their Messiah. And guess what happened? Uh, judgment came down. It was a horrible thing. Okay. And, and so anyway, that, that's what was going on there. You know, you've got these Judaizers and they're trying to push morality on these Gentiles, but there is no gospel there. And so, uh, verse 15, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Uh, now, what rule? If we walk according to this rule, well, look, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, right? In other words, we're no longer under the Mosaic law. We're under grace. Christ died for us. We are a new creation and we need to walk as a new creation. When we come into situations in our life where we need to make a choice, okay, we need to be asking the question, would this choice that I'm about to make, would it be of the flesh, you know, that old creation, or is it going to be of the new creation, walking in the spirit? Is this going to sow to the flesh or is it going to sow to the spirit, right? To tie this all together, we need to be walking according to that, really considering that. Know that we are of that new creation and that we are now under grace. Praise God. And so here we go. The last verse of this study through the book of Galatians from now from now on, let no one trouble me. For I, Oh, this isn't the last verse. <clears throat> okay. And so moving on to verse 17. From now, from now on, let no one trouble me. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what marks? Uh, well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 27, Paul kind of gets into that a little bit. This guy really has earned his right to speak. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure in prisons, more frequently in deaths. Often from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned three times. I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I've been in the deep. Yikes. That'd be scary in journeys. Often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Okay, Paul is saying, who is the one who is being persecuted for their faith and still pressing on? Me. Okay? <laughs> Paul has been through a lot. This, uh, look, when, when it says here uh, that five times I received the 40 stripes minus one. Uh, the 40 minus one, that was 39 lashings with these cat of nine tails, these whips that had um, strands uh, you know, of leather with bits of bone and glass woven into it. Uh, these things were vicious. And a lot of people that received the 39 minus, or the 40, good grief, hard for me to say, uh, 40 minus one lashings, a lot of them wouldn't even survive. They would just, it would rip 
the skin and a lot of the muscle clean off your back to the extent that uh, I've read that many of these people, when they get done being whipped, you can see their lungs inflating and deflating through their back. Okay, because the skin has been removed and a lot of the muscle of the back's been removed. Bones are broken. It is horrible. Okay, Paul went through that five times. Okay, he's been beaten with rods. He's been taken out and stoned and left for dead. Uh, and then all the other things that he's been through. This guy really walked out his faith. I mean, just fearless for the gospel. Um, so yeah, Paul had probably a few marks on his body, if you know what I mean. And so in, in verse 18, the last verse of this amazing book, the whole theme of this book has been grace, has it not? It's all about grace. Praise God. Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins. And he ends off this book beautifully. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And so he ends with that word grace. Okay. May the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So listen, guys. If, if there's anybody out there listening who is not saved, okay, or maybe they felt they were saved, but they were trying to earn their own salvation, I would say that this is for you too. We are not under uh, the Mosaic Law now. We don't have to work to be saved. Uh, many unbelievers, when they start approaching faith, think that somehow they have to earn God's favor. Through doing good works. Listen, your good works cannot save you. They will never save you. If you rely on your works, you are doomed. You cannot be saved. You will not go to heaven because you've done a lot of good works in your life. The only thing that can save you is what Christ did. He did that on the cross for you. And, and some of you still don't quite get this. Why? Why would Christ do that? Why does it even matter? Listen, Christ, or I'm sorry, God is perfect. He is holy. And we are very unholy. We, we really are sinful creatures. We go astray from the womb. We're constantly thinking sinful thoughts. Even when we try not to, we're still messing up. Every one of us has lied. One lie, guys, one lie. Has anybody here told a lie? Every one of you have told a lie. I know that. That makes you a liar. That is breaking uh, the, the, the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not lie. And uh, <clears throat> that is breaking the commandment, thou shalt not lie. And the wages of sin is death. One lie is enough to keep you from God for all of eternity. Uh, thou shalt not kill. But Christ says, if you look on somebody with hatred in your heart, then you've killed them. In, in effect, you're guilty of that sin. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, Christ also says when you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. Oh, goodness. How many guys, how many of you guys out there have done that? I mean, come on. Let's not, let, I mean, let's be honest here. We have broken God's commands. We have thumbed our nose at our God, okay? There is nothing at this point. We have already committed the crime. You can't just go to the judge uh, and say, listen, I know that I was uh, uh, busted for murdering somebody, but judge, I just want you to realize that I'm a really good man and I've spent my whole life doing good things. So I feel like you should focus on the good things that I've done and because they far outweigh this one bad thing. And the judge is going to say, yes, you are a good person. You've done a lot of good things, but you are here because of that sin, your, that law that you broke, and I must punish you. But now consider this, that person deserves the penalty. Uh, but then the judge steps off the stands and he says, justice must be served, yes, but I will take your punishment. I know that wouldn't happen in our current legal system, but this is God we're talking about. And God himself, Christ, takes the penalty that you and I deserve upon himself. He takes our punishment for us. And he dies on a cross facing just horrible agony, all kinds of pain, taking that upon himself that we might be saved. It's that simple. 
Christ is holy. He is, God is holy. He is perfect. He is just. We have broken his laws. We deserve the punishment. We really do. But then he takes the punishment for us and says, look, I love you so much. I will serve that justice. I will take your your punishment. Trust in me. Trust in me and you'll be saved. It's that easy. Guys, if you haven't done that, I urge you, I beg you, do not go another day without getting on your knees and asking for Christ to come into your life to save you from your sins and to start teaching you and raising you up in how he would like you to live your life, uh, to honor him and to love him back. Okay? And then go find yourself a Bible, a good Bible. Grab a King James or a New King James, okay? Uh, if you don't know, grab one of those. And start finding yourself a good church that's going to teach the Word of God and not compromise the gospel. All right, guys, that is the end of this Galatians study. I really hope you've enjoyed it. I've worked incredibly hard to put this together, especially with all the setbacks and all the problems that I've faced uh, trying to crank out this study. Even now as I'm talking, I'm flipping back over to my audacity and seeing that uh, the waveforms look like everything's recording pretty good. Praise God for that. Now I'm going to hit stop and I'm going to save it and it's probably going to disappear off my computer. I don't know what's going on with this. But I, you know, anyway, I hope you guys have enjoyed this study. I certainly have. And um, praise God. Thanks for listening. This is Michael Bohm, Youth Apologetics Training. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, we're going to be talking about tongues. That's right. We're going to revisit this subject of tongues. I've already recorded uh, two podcasts on the subject. I, I said during my first series on tongues that uh, I wanted to do some further study. And that further study has happened. And I have some new interesting insights on the subject. I know you guys are going to enjoy it. So anyway, uh, thanks for listening. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.